this is the first series of, of or the first Sunday of this series we're calling Jesus Wept. And, and we're going to be doing this until uh, Easter. And, and what I wanted to do today is give you the context, kind of invite you into this journey. Uh, the title, let me tell you, comes from um, one little verse in the Gospel of John, trivia-wise. It, it's considered to be the shortest verse in the Bible. Literally, it is two words, Jesus wept. And the, the context, the situation is that Jesus has a, a friend. He's got a very close uh, friend of his named Lazarus, and he's close to the whole family. Lazarus has some sisters, and um, from everything that we can tell, Jesus is very fond of this family. And in the Gospel of John, Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up after Lazarus has died and, and he's interacting with his sisters and he said, listen, uh, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And John's gospel is very much about like, listen, wherever Jesus is, that's literally a source of life. And it is a source of new life. And resurrection is all about one thing that was dead is now living again. And Jesus says, listen, wherever I'm active, that's what's going on. And he comes after his uh, buddy Lazarus has died and he says, show me the tomb that he's laying in. And, and they go to the tomb. And after Jesus has said, listen, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the resurrection and the life, uh, they go to the tomb and, and everybody's kind of like standing around the tomb weeping and crying. And that's the concept or that's the context of when Jesus, the scripture says, Jesus weeps. And there, it's very in a, in a very enigmatic verse. Like, why is he crying? There's no real explanation. But a lot of scholars, and I would tend to follow this line of thinking, would say that one of the reasons Jesus is weeping is because he's just said, listen, I am the life. I am the resurrection. Like, things that were dead come back to life when I'm around and I'm here, and yet you're weeping and mourning. And that line of thinking would say that, like, Jesus is crying because... People don't believe. They're not living out like what he's told them and who he said he is. And, and he's sitting around going like, I said who I am. Like, why are you not responding this way? And the reason it pertains to what we're going to be talking about is for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about ways that we, we sort of do that in our life today where we, we know abstractly who God is. Maybe you know what's important to God. Maybe you've been following Jesus. And yet, um, when we go out of a place like this, our lives aren't lived like that. Like in the same way that Jesus is like, listen, I told you who I am, but, but you're responding in a way that says you don't believe me. Like, this is what we're gonna do for the next few weeks. We're gonna remind ourselves what God says about the world and about us and about him but then also talk about the ways that we walk out of here and go, ah, maybe you didn't really mean it. So, but we're gonna do this in a, a kind of a different way. Uh, so what I'm gonna do is just, this is gonna be just, like I said, an invitation to this series and setting the context and just doing some teaching on, on basic concepts, okay? Is that cool? Can we do that? Yes, good. That's all I had planned for today. Um, so we're gonna start with the idea of... Uh, Wednesday is what we call Ash Wednesday, and it kicks off the season of Lent. Anybody know or ever heard of that term, the season of Lent? Um, 
I think the basics of Latin are literally, it's associated with the word lengthening. So as the days get longer in the spring, that is the, the season of Lent. But for the church and for, for God's people, uh, it has always had another significance and another symbol. So real quick, uh, when, when, uh, when we have our Ash Wednesday gatherings, which we'll get to in, in uh, I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. One of the things that we always say is that this is an invitation to a holy Lent. And we're going to invite you into this holy season of Lent. And so to do that, just the basics of Lent, it is 40 days that lead up to Easter starting on Ash Wednesday. And we take that 40 days from the Bible, from the New Testament. Jesus, uh, we're told after he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And for 40 days he fasts. And for 40 days, he's tempted. And the temptation is all about Jesus. Like, how are you going to live your life? Like, Jesus, you could, accomplish, uh, you could accomplish all these things by ways that are counter to what, you know, what God wants you to do. And Jesus, uh, like, endures the temptation. It's real. We're told the devil is like, listen, Jesus, why don't you just, why don't you shortcut what God wants for you and, and do things a different way? And Jesus has to make the choice to say, no, no, like, God wants this done. He wants my life lived a certain way. And so I'm going to do it. The 40 days comes from that model, but um, there's more to it than that. So uh, the early church, I mean, the first couple hundred years after Jesus, uh, they loved to baptize on Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, resurrection day, right? And so what better day to be baptized than on Easter Sunday because our lives are changing and we get to remember what God has done for us. So the church loved to baptize on Easter. And so they would say, listen, you're gonna be baptized on Easter. Before you're baptized, think about your life. Like think about what God's done for you. Think about how your life used to be before you met Jesus because you're gonna be baptized. That's a big deal. So take some time to reflect on your life. Take some time to think about what, why you needed a savior in the first place. And so the church would say, listen, there, in, in the early, early church documents, there's no set time. Some, some writers say take a day. Some writers say take four. Some writers say take whatever, seven, 10, whatever. But about uh, 325, there's a church council. And uh, that council at Nicaea says, listen, let's just say 40 days. 40 days that lead up to Easter when you're gonna be baptized. Anybody who wants to be baptized, take the time and you think about your life. Why do you need God? What's, what are the character defects and the broken things in your life that just led you to the, to the point where you're like, I need help? Just do that for 40 days. Now, uh, another thing. I don't know if you know this, but the first church is much like the church now in, in the sense that it's made up of human beings, who, most of whom are a little bit crazy. And, uh, and so in the first church, just like in the church now, there's people who sometimes stumble and they make mistakes. And sometimes the mistakes are really, really bad ones. Some, of them, some people, are, they, they don't intend to make the mistakes. Some people, um, maybe they're just not all there and they make, a, they make a mistake that's just really disruptive to the community. The early days of the church, the church was very small. The churches were very small. Had someone was coming in and making such a mess of their lives that they would just ask the person, you've got to leave the church, right? Like it was like church timeout corner. Like you just got to get out because you're, you're destroying this community. You know, they were so much smaller. And if somebody was like really going off the rails, you could really take out 
a whole lot of people. But you, were, you could come back to the community. And so that's what they would use Easter Sunday for as well. Hey, Easter, like if you've really gone off the rails, you can come back, come back on Easter Sunday. But why don't you take the 40 days going up to Easter Sunday and set things right? So go make amends. Go name the things that, that made you go off the rails and really consider your life. And then listen, when Easter comes around, come back, come back and let's get going and, and, and start moving on from that. That is the concept of, of really what Lent is. And, and like I said, it starts on Wednesday and it's gonna go through Easter. So we've always done a Lent series or at least we have for the past like, I don't know, 10, 11 years where we try to walk you guys through. How, we, how can we help you guys process those types of questions? Reflect on your life. Maybe make some changes. Maybe think about what needs to be fixed or set right in your community. And this year is no different, except we're gonna do something that's different than what we've ever done before. And I'll get to that in a couple minutes. What I wanna do is spend some time on a couple more basic concepts. The idea of like, what does it mean to repent? And I'm also gonna talk about uh, basically what is the concept of sin and how are we gonna talk about it for the next six or seven weeks? So first of all, we talk about like these 40 days are for you to repent. And that's a churchy word and it can be scary. But essentially, we're gonna look at the Hebrew concepts that are behind the word repent. And in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, there are two words that mostly mean repent. Uh, one is the word suh, let me hear you say suh. And the word niham, let me hear you say niham. So those two words together uh, really tend to just get at this idea of repentance as turning from something and turning to God. You turn from things that just aren't good, aren't healthy, aren't positive, are destructive, and you turn to God. It's a turning. Now, Nehem has the additional nuance of relenting. Like, just stop. There are things in your life that you just need to relent and stop doing. But the basic concept of repentance, especially in the Hebrew Bible, is there's things you gotta stop, turn from, and turn to God. And so when we take these 40 days, we just look at our lives. What are the things that I have to stop doing, turning from and turn to? Now, when you get to the New Testament, the, the word that's used for repentance is one of my favorite words in the Bible, the Greek word, metanoia, which is the idea of changing your mind and changing your consciousness. And I love that nuance that the New Testament and Jesus puts on repenting. Like you, there are things that you just need to reconsider in your mind and things that you need to reevaluate in your consciousness. This could be anything from like, well, listen, there are things that I do and I don't really think they're bad. But to repent, even in the New Testament concept is to say, uh, it kind of doesn't matter what you think. Like my mind can tell me all manner of things aren't destructive. But if you ask my friends and my family about certain behaviors and choices I make, they might go, oh yeah, that's destructive. It's hurtful. Therefore, change my mind. I need to reevaluate in my mind what might or might not be destructive, what might or might not be sin. And, and furthermore, another great nuance of changing your mind and repenting is literally Jesus comes along and he says, listen, you need to repent and, and when Jesus says that, 
A lot of times it's like Jesus is saying, you need to change your way you think the world works. And in that context, it usually means something like, we think the world works in that I need more wealth and more power and more status to make it. And Jesus comes along and says, ah, 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 repent, because the kingdom's here. And then he says things like, oh, in the kingdom, it's the first that's last. And the last is first. Change your mind, change your consciousness. Things don't work the way you think they do. Repent. So 40 days to just do things that you look at your life and you reevaluate it and you turn from and turn to. And when we look at this, I want to draw out the idea that repenting biblically is both internal and external. Like internal in the, th in the sense that we're like, yeah, that thing that I do, I need to change the way I think about it. I need to ask for forgiveness from God. But repentance is also external. It's behavior-centered as well. There are physical things that I'm doing that I should stop doing and maybe do something that's a little more healthy. So we're gonna talk about things over the next 40 days that we're gonna invite you to do things that will involve turning from certain behaviors and maybe doing, turning to other behaviors that do different things in the world that I dare say are a little bit more positive and God-oriented. And just so you know, that, like, that to me, the idea of external behavior guiding internal reality, man, that's key biblical concept to me. Like we tend to think that we think things first into being and then our behavior changes. I wanna to suggest to you that not only the Bible, but real life would, would teach you that sometimes you do behaviors first and your mindset changes later. Anybody ever experienced something like that? Ever trained for a race or learned a new skill and you found that your mindset actually followed your behavior. So repentance is not just internal, it's also external. Now, so uh, Avis read this uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful passage out of the book of Leviticus. Now, anybody ever heard of the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur? Okay, it happens in the fall. And what she read is essentially the biblical basis for Yom Kippur, the day of reconciliation, the day of atonement, one of the three holiest Jewish holidays and the most solemn. And uh, she read the, the, the instructions that God gave to Moses, sort of the, the paradigm around it. And I love the fact that God's like, listen, you ever think God, like we always say, oh, the Old Testament, God is so angry. But how about the idea that he's like really angry about you working? <laughs> he's like, if you work, I will destroy you. And I'm like, that is like the teenager's commandment right there. Like, <laughs> so it's a really important day. And um, the instructions are, again, they start this way in uh, Leviticus 23. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, you're going to have a special rest, a holy occasion marked by a trumpet signal. And you must not do any job related work and you must offer a food gift to the Lord. And then he goes on to describe just more particulars about it. He talks about denying yourself. And this is sort of the Old Testament equivalent of what we're talking about. Uh, the day of reconciliation was a day that you just thought about your life. And you thought about the things that aren't right in the world. Now, this leads us into some very interesting concepts in, in, a, in a couple moments about what does it mean to talk about the brokenness in your life and in the world? What does it mean to talk about this word sin? All right, but right now, for now, just I want us to just focus on the idea that like this is a big deal uh, for God's people. 
And uh, a couple chapters before in the book of Leviticus, there are some specific instructions. So what would happen? It's so fascinating, the Old Testament. So the, the day of reconciliation involved the priest, like the, the anointed uh, person of God. And, and he would take the uh, blood of sacrifices and he would go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was said to dwell. And he would go in to it and he would sprinkle blood in the Holy of Holies from a sacrifice. And then he would come out to like uh, the next outer area and he would sprinkle blood there. And the reason he did that was because they had this idea that sin and brokenness actually polluted things. It actually releases like a pollution into existence. And so the day of reconciliation was like the priest would go in and he's like, I need to cleanse the altar, the very presence of God because all the things that have happened over the previous year have released this pollution into the air. And we have to just cleanse this space. And the culmination of the day of reconciliation happens uh, when this ceremony involving um, a live goat. And, and if you don't think that I thought of having a live goat here today, <laughs> but I have learned that like farm animals and preaching is a dubious combination at best. But listen, Leviticus 16 describes this, this culmination of the day of reconciliation. This, they have this live goat. There's two goats, one for a sacrifice and one that's going to live. And it says Aaron, the priest, he takes both his hands on the head of the goat and he confesses over it all the Israelites' offenses and all their rebellious sins as well as all their other sins. And he puts all these on the goat's head. And then he will send it away into the wilderness with someone designated for the job and the goat will carry on itself all their offenses to a desolate region. Then the goat will be released into the wild. So the priest symbolically takes his hands and he puts it, it's the scapegoat, right? You know the term scapegoat. This is actually, this is where it starts. So the priest confesses all of the broken things, all of the mistakes, all of the sins of the Israelites, and he transfers them onto this goat. And then if you could just imagine the people, everything that's happened in the previous year, all the brokenness, all the mistakes are put onto this goat symbolically. And then the goat is just led away so the people can just watch their sins being taken away. Remember, this is a preliterate society. So how are you gonna tell people like these truths about God? We're gonna just show them, like we're just carrying this thing away to the wilderness and it's never gonna come back. They're gone, they're gone. Now, this is what's interesting. There, if, if you commit individual sins, like if, if you make a mistake or you make a single mistake, right? You can deal with that throughout the Jewish year. You don't need to wait for the Day of Atonement. You know what the Day of Atonement was for? It was for something that is very foreign to us in our culture. It is for corporate sin. You see, the Bible understands sin very differently than we do. We tend to think of a sin as, I did this thing wrong. I made God mad or I, I, made a, I, I blew it. But the Bible, sin uh, is much more uh, nuanced than that. And there is something in the Bible that is literally corporate sin. And the day of reconciliation is meant to deal with the sins of all God's people. And what I mean by that is like, like, Dan, just because you don't blow it, like there's something in the Bible and something can be about part of God's people where like, even if you don't blow it, if I do, 
you're partly responsible for that. Like we are all in this thing together. And there's something that is so like important and, and, and potentially devastating about sin that if, like, if it happens in the body, somehow we are all responsible for it. It's not enough to go, well, I didn't do that. It's not my job. And the day of reconciliation comes along and says, it doesn't matter if one person, if it just happens, sin pollutes God's creation. It just brings things in. So therefore, it's all of our responsibility. And we all need this ritual of release. And we need to be reminded that the sins of all the people are taken away by God, but we need to deal with it. Uh, in that scripture, when Aaron lays his hand on the goat, uh, there are three different Hebrew words that are used to describe sin. So in the English, it just kind of says, um, he puts his hand on the head. It's the offenses, the rebellious sins, and then their other sins. In Hebrew, it's three words, uh, hatat, pesah, and avan. And it's three different takes on the concept of sin. So hatat, if, if you guys hung around church a while, anyone ever heard like the, the, the archer illustration of like sin, like it's missing the mark? Okay, you guys did not listen in Sunday school. Anyway, it's a core concept of sin where it's just like literally, the concept of sin is like you're, it's like an archer who is aiming for the target and you miss. You tried. You didn't want to be snarky to your wife that day, but, but you were. You didn't want it to happen, but it just did. It's nothing like you're not evil. It just happened. That is the word hatat. The, the, the priest lays his hands on the goat and he transfers those things symbolically to the goat. It also says, it uh, uses the word pesa. Pesa is another nuance where it's like, a, it's a breach of legal contract. Like you and I agreed to do something. I didn't do it. It's deliberate, but it's legal. It's a broken promise. Nothing inherently morally like weird about it. It's just like we agreed to do something. I didn't do it. It's legal. But the third word, avan, that is like morally disruptive, destructive sin. It's wicked. It is like, I know I shouldn't do it. I did it anyway. It is the things that just blow up community and blow up human beings. And we all know them. You know, things like adultery and murder and stealing those are the, and all of those things, the priest puts his hands on the goat and transfers them away. But I want to kind of just like bring this sort of uh, wrap this up and say, I want to just show in these concepts of, of sin, this is what biblical sin looks like. Okay, first of all, it's not merely individual. We just talked about it. Like sin releases stuff into the world. So it's not enough to say, well, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I kept my legal contracts and just because Eric blew his, I'm not culpable. No, biblically it says, no, if one person did it, it's like we're all responsible. We're all responsible. Next, um, it's not based on your feelings. Well, it didn't feel like sin to me. Felt kind of good. <laughs> and the Bible just says, listen, there are things that God just says are wrong. And, and it doesn't matter if you feel good or bad about it. You don't necessarily, and God doesn't want you to feel like shame and like you're worthless. He just said, listen, it is what it is. Call it, name it, name it, just say it. It's not right. 
I shouldn't be doing it. It's a biblical concept of sin. Doesn't matter what you feel. Doesn't make you a bad person if you get guilty of it. Just name it. Next thing. It's not just the intentional things I did. Well, I didn't mean to yell at my kids, so it doesn't count, right? It's unintentional. It's intentional. It's just these things come up in the world and they need to be named and dealt with. And the way I would sum it up is like, listen, there's this beautiful word in the Bible called shalom. And shalom just simply means, if I just sum it up with the phrase, is like, uh, is a holistic sense of peace, contentment, and well-being. That's what God intends for the world. Anything that breaks shalom is sin. Anything. Anything that breaks God's holistic sense of well-being and contentment is sin. Doesn't matter if you think it is or it's not. Now, it doesn't make you an awful person. It just means you've got a problem and we've got a problem. If one person has a problem, therefore we have a problem. You understand where I'm going with this? So, let me bring us back then to this series, Jesus Wept. So I said like these 40 days are historically for people, God's people to think about their lives. Like what brought you to the need for a savior? Think about it, reflect on it, repent, about, repent of it. But what I, where I felt us going this year was the fact that like in our culture, we never talk about corporate sin. We always talk about the things that like you do wrong and I do wrong, but we never talk about the reality that there are things that happen in the world and a lot of us never actually participate in those things happening, but it doesn't mean we're not culpable. So I just sat down and, and me and the staff, we just started saying, what are like six things that we think God says are wrong and the Bible says they're wrong, 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 wrong. And we just said, listen, we're gonna talk about these things and they're all mostly corporate things. And so therefore, I may name some stuff and, and you guys may, well, I don't do that. I'm good with that. But the Bible says if, if it happens, we're all responsible. So we just, so we came up with six things and they're big things. Things like injustice and hunger and poverty and racism and isolationism and idolatry and the way we treat the creation of God. And the Bible clearly says that every single one of those things, God's like, uh-uh-uh, they're all wrong. It is all sin. But I don't do them, God. I'm good. I pick up my trash. Doesn't matter. Somebody does. It's brokenness. It's sin. It needs to be talked about. So what if for six weeks we just said, listen, what would it mean for us to corporately repent and reflect on the things that break God's heart? And these are all big things, right? But it doesn't mean we're not responsible. So, in a sense, that's what we're going to be doing. And we've worked very hard that like every single week, we're going to talk about an issue and we're going to invite you to engage it during the week. And then we're going to invite you to do something about it every single week. So we've lined up something every single week to say, listen, we're going to go out and make a difference. We're not just going to talk about it being bad. We're not just going to feel bad about it. We're going to go try and make a dent in it, right? And no, we're not going to solve any of these problems. But I love the story. It's a kind of a simple story. But if you've ever heard the, the story of the, I think of the, I always heard it as a little girl on the ocean and there's this hundreds of thousands of starfish laying on the beach and she keeps picking up because they're dying and she's throwing them back in and the old man comes on. He says, little girl, why are you throwing those starfish back in the water? She said, because they're dying. And, and, and he says, but you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to make a difference in all of this. And she said, well, I made a difference to that one and I made a difference to that one. And I made a difference to that one. So, 
So we're going to talk about these things for the next six weeks. And we're going to do what we can to make a little difference in our corner of the world. And we're going to repent of them. And we're going to reflect on them. And we're going to follow the biblical story that just says, listen, it doesn't matter if I do it or I don't do it or if I agree with it, I disagree with it. The Bible says it's wrong. And so in the spirit of Yom Kippur in the day of reconciliation, we all say it's wrong and we repent. So here's what I'm inviting you to. This is where it just all comes just down to these simple things. Listen, uh, your invitation to a holy Lent is to dig in and participate. Every single week, we're gonna lay out things that you can do and pray and think about. And we just ask you to journey with us. And if you could participate in whatever the activity is, um, do it. You know, they're, they're, some of them just have a, a small number of people that can do, but we've tried very hard to come up with something that we, every single one of us can do every week. Do it. Journey with us. Go. Start it. And it starts with, uh, by the way, it starts with Ask Wednesday. Um, noon and 6 p.m. in this space where we just do a short worship service but without music, we just read some scripture and we confess together. And then uh, we receive the ashes of the palms from Palm Sunday last year um, marked on our, our, our foreheads or our hands to remind ourselves that we hear the phrase like ashes to ashes, dust to dust comes from the Bible. And Ash Wednesday is just a reminder, say, listen, you're just ash. You're not perfect and you got one life. So, Let's be clear about who we are and, who, and what we need to do in our lives to become better, right? I remember, uh, by the way, I remember like years ago before I knew, I, you know, I haven't done Ash Wednesday all my life. I, and I was one of those people like before I knew what it was years ago and like somebody came back, a co-worker, and I was like, oh, you got a little, uh, little something on your head? And they're like, it was Ash Wednesday. And I was like, and because I'm a little bit prideful, I'm like, oh, yes, Ash Wednesday. And then I like run away. And I'm like, what is Ash Wednesday? <laughs> so you, we receive the, 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 just the imposition of ashes as a symbolic commitment to this journey. Um, so that's the first invitation. And that is literally, that's the corporate part of this. We talk about sin being corporate and individual. This is the corporate part. Journey with us. Do this with us. And then the second thing I'm going to invite you to is uh, fast, fast. Lent is traditionally in the church, it's a time of giving something up. In my house, like my mother gave up like chocolate every Lent and like, good, you know, chocolate's cool. But, you know, we talk about like the fact that like, you know, fasting is meant to give something up that means something to you, right? And that matters. And maybe chocolate really matters to you, but but like fasting is really about, well, like giving up food for like a day or giving up something that really is occupying your time and your mind. Um, and so um, uh, on the welcome, uh, the welcome Center out there, I printed up some guidelines just to help you identify what, so what does it mean to fast and how do I figure out what to fast from? I just want to share real quick just two questions that, I, that were very helpful for me. Um, the first question I would say is, like, listen, you find out what you're going to fast for by asking yourself, what do I need to die to? What do I need to uh, sort of surrender and get rid of my agenda? 
But Jesus says over and over in the gospel, you gotta die to yourself. Take up your cross, die to yourself. Fasting is a way you die to yourself. And biblically, you know what self means? Your agenda in the world. And you're still like, well, what's, what's my agenda? Well, my agenda sometimes is like, how can Eric get the most time to watch the most Netflix? It, possible. Or how can I have the most time to do what I want? That's my agenda. What do I need to do to die to myself to surrender my agenda? Well, I need to give my time maybe back to God and my family. So what's your agenda in the world? Are you, are you consumed with money, power, getting more? Maybe that's where your fast is going to lead you. Now, second idea of fasting. This is the question that is most helpful for me. What's holding me back? What's holding me back for taking the step forward in my spiritual journey I need to take? And this, you could, be, you could be at the front end of your spiritual journey. I don't even know if I believe in God yet. You could be 50 years into this journey. There's still something holding you back. So ask yourself, what needs to go away so that I can move forward one step? One step. Is it the movies that you watch too much of? Is it the websites that you go to late in the evening when you shouldn't be going to those websites? Is it the time that you're spending with people you shouldn't be spending to? What is it? Is it the myriad ways, is it the myriad ways that we anesthetize ourselves in this culture? This is where food comes in. And you want to really know if something has a hold on you, just throw it out there as an experiment to fast over. I'm not addicted to coffee. Wait until you try to fast from it. So, so some of us might sit there and go like, Eric, you say those things, but I don't know if there's anything in my life like it. Just try it. And you'd be like, oh no, like no, I really want that thing. I really need that thing. And there's so many things that we have in our culture that we use to just numb ourselves to what God wants to do in our lives. What things or activities are holding me back in my spiritual journey? And this is the individual side of this, of the, of the brokenness, but it also affects the corporate side. And I'll end, uh, I'll end uh, this way. Um, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the first things that you have to learn in that book is you begin with the end in mind. And this is no different. So let me just ask it to you this way. What could be true of you come Easter? You, some of you guys are like, uh, you know, it's a little bit of an apathy thing. I go to church to check it off my box. But I would just say, what could be true of you for 40, after 40 days if you just let God take hold of you a little bit? Begin with the end in mind. What life change do you want to see in your life? What do you want to see happen? Do you want to be more peaceful, more contentment, more mission-minded? It could happen in 40 days. There are people in this community. Listen, we're not all that special, but I guarantee you there are people in this community that will tell you their lives have been changed by God because they just said, okay, I'll take you up on it, God. Change me. So what do you want to see happen in 40 days? Start with that. You know, God loves us absolutely. This is not some sort of flip-flop or, or bait and switch off of this Luke 15 stuff. This isn't about God's love for you. This is about God's best for you. 
He still loves you absolutely. And Jesus would sit down with the most broken, messed up person here and you would, he would just say, tell me about your life. I, I just Tell me about you. And it would be the love of the Father shining through Jesus. But Jesus also wants you to improve your life. He also wants you to go, man, I, there's trash in my life and I got to get it out. The concept of radical grace and absolute love of the Father is no way contradictory to the need for repentance and growth. Amen. 